Thankful for our time together today. Will you grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of 1 John? You're going to find that in the very back of your Bible, just after 2 Peter and just before Jude and Revelation. Uh, we're joyful here at Disciples Church to take our time to really preach through God's Word um, and, and to enjoy it and, and learn from it as He's put it forth. And um, the fruit of that has been really sweet. Um, this series that's focusing on the truth and certainty and love that we have in the Lord has, has been so good for our souls. I pray it continues to be. I'm honored to preach today. First John, we move into chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, in a sermon that I've titled, Beloved of God. Look with me at today's passage. First John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Good word of our Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for this time together. We thank You for the great gift of Your written word that we could know You in truth, that we could obey you in righteousness, that we um, are saved by the preaching of the word and uh, emboldened, convicted, matured by the word. Do that work in each of us today according to your perfect plan. We thank you and we humbly submit ourselves to you in the mighty work of the Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John starts chapter 3 with the words, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. The words, what kind, in the English, are a translation of the Greek word, potopos. The word is meant to convey greatness. So here John uses this somewhat unusual word, in a way to convey the vastness and the incomparable nature of God's love for His redeemed people. We see this word used, same word, but in a different English translation, with this emphasis in Mark 13, 1, which says, As He came out of the temple, one of His disciples said to Him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings... The same Greek word that declares stones to be so absolutely wonderful is used in our verse by John to lift out from all that is common and known by all mankind, to lift out of that, that which is so high and so above all else and known by only some, only by his elect people. And what is it? The vast, incomparable love of Wonderful love, great love of God for His redeemed people. 
Oh, how we want to know and rightly see the love of God for us. For it is a great encouragement to us. We want the love of God to be mightily working in our lives. For any other source of love that we might turn to is counterfeit or second rate. Consider the potent words of Paul when speaking of God's love for us in his letter to the Ephesian believers. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. He, God, chose us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. In love, God predestined us. Meaning, inspired by God's eternal love for us, our redeemed destiny was decided before creation. For those of us who are His elect, those of us whom, for whom Christ died, we are loved unconditionally before time began. Think about that, Christian. The vastness, the greatness of God's love for you. God's love is set on you. Not recently. Not haphazardly. Not because of your great performance. Not out of pity for you because of your pathetic performance. But before we did anything good or bad, before we breathed our first breath, before all creation was made, He set out to destine us to salvation to be part of His eternal family. How loved we are. In chapter 2, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4-5, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. What is so amazing about God's love for us is when we really, truly slow to consider the absolute deplorable depravity of our condition, of our state, that was rightly and fully deserving of God's judgment and wrath due our sin. The good news of the gospel that changes everything is that while God would have been completely, 100% righteous and just to wipe us all out. Convict and condemn every one of us in our sin. He chose not to. Instead of righteous wrath be poured out on all, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit chose in love to pour out mercy on many undeserving sinners. I love Paul's word choice here when he says, but God. These words need to knock us over, church. 
Because how absolutely dead and utterly desperate we were in our sin for the only one who could save us and deliver us. And he chose to do this. The story of mankind should equal all of us drowning in the lake of fire for our sin. Eternal torment for our betrayal of the eternal God. In despair. An eternity of ruin. We were enemies. Full of lies and deception. Self-seeking idolatry. But God. I want us to feel the weight of our condition and see that no one noticed anything, especially God. Oh, how He loved us and put His love on us. Church, you must know how loved you are by God and not ever lose sight of it. Listen to these words in 1 John chapter 4 that we're going to get to in our series, but peek with me ahead for a moment. Let them sink in. Let them take over your life. 1 John 4, 9-10 through 10, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To know real love, you must know God, who is love. To know God, you must be spiritually awakened by God, which will cause you to respond with repentance of your sin and trust in Jesus, submission to Jesus with your entire life. If you've not done this, I pray that God gives you saving faith today or soon. That you would truly confess your sin before Him and believe and know true and lasting love. And that that love that you now know would, would be for Him. And that repentance and that confession of your sin would not just be one time, that you would be humble to confess your sin when it happens. Again and again and again. And turn not to your own ability to fix it. Not to your own ability to pull up your bootstraps and make a way. But to just total beautiful dependence on Christ alone. God loved us. While we were all on the enemy's team. And, and all the while acting like enemies and fighting for the enemy. God loved us, church. God's eternal and perfect love was always on us the entire time. So when we read, because of the great love with which He loved us, it is a very special and very definite love that He has for individual objects of His eternal choosing. This is Scripture's teaching. Church, it is to be good news, therefore, to our souls, to be the recipients and to be in that love. 
This is the amazing love of God at work in the most amazing and gracious way. This is John's emphasis in our passage today. Back to first one, first John three, one. See what kind of love, or as we've seen in that word, how great the love of the Father has given us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. John wants to build up and encourage the brethren. I've read theologians of old, pastors of old, speak of these verses we're in today as some of the highest encouragement for the church in all of Scripture. That's, that's big words. John is trying to encourage the brethren to see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Celebrate it and know it and live in it. Or we could say to see how great the love is that the Father has given to us. How great is it? John continues that we should be called children of God and so we are. God loved us with love so great that He paid the ransom due our sin to purchase us out of slavery and into His beloved eternal family. He made us His kids. His kids of grace. Church, the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is found in that phrase, children of God. Is it that personal to you? I pray that any part of your faith in Jesus, your devotion, your obedience to God, your participation in Christ's church that is linked to religious routine would be put away for good. Why? Because you finally have found Room to climb into the beautiful fullness of what it means to be loved by God, to be a child of God. When God saves us by regenerating our dead heart unto life and giving us saving faith and genuine repentance from sin, we are justified because of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. On our behalf, and as a result, we are adopted as God's very own. And this changes everything. Listen to Paul, Ephesians 1 5. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Adoption is beautiful, it's intentional, it's grace fueled. It's a grace fueled act of the Holy God on undeserving sinners. Understand, adoption is not an act of the child, but an act of the parent. Our adoption is not a result of our striving or our efforts. God makes a legal transaction and claims us as His own. Adoption is not, at first, a change in nature, or a change in behavior, it's a change in our status. 
And just as a family who adopts a child must give time for that child to change their habits and practices, so it is also us in spiritual adoption. There's an ongoing process of the refining fire of God to purify out the sin and selfish ways and to bring wonderful humility, gratitude, and living righteously. Again, this is what John's driving home. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The love of God is amazing. It is so great because of who we were. Rebels, enemies, dead, unresponsive, slaves to sin, addicted to lawlessness and pride and fits of rage and self-seeking manipulation of others and theft and lying and cursing and utter selfishness. We were the kind of kid, if available for adoption, that no one of God's holy majesty should ever choose. The kind of kid that if you took him home, he'd terrorize your family and your household. The kid who had a record of already terrorizing households. God chose that kid, that kind of kid, to adopt in you and me. Paul and John both agree, this is truly amazing and wonderful love. Now that said, adoption alone is not an adequate description of the kind of love we have from the Father when we are His children. Holy Scripture speaks of our status as children of God. It doesn't just speak in terms of adoption. It speaks of something even more global. God doesn't just adopt us into His family and move us into His house. As amazing as that is, He moves into our lives by His Spirit. His seed, John calls it. We'll see that later in chapter 3, verse 9. He imparts something to us so that we are utterly changed from the inside out to begin to take on His family resemblance. By this, we know the children of God. If you are a child of God this morning, you are so by adoption, legally, formally, and finally. But more than by adoption, by new birth of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling, the seal of the Holy Spirit, as we saw in Ephesians. Later in 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So the love of God for us goes beyond the adoption of the child who once terrorized his house in glory. God doesn't stop at legal declaration, but refines us with his fire by planting his seed in us, the spirit to go to work that we would walk by faith and progressively be sanctified made more and more holy. 
see with me, church, that this has been God's design from before there was time. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. The Bible says that God predestined it. He planned it long ago. He planned what? That His Son would have many brothers and sisters in the age to come. How? By adoption, yes. But more than adoption, predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is, caused us to be born again. Galatians 4.29 He made us new creatures in Christ. Galatians 6.15 He put His Spirit in us and began a transforming work inside that would shape us into the family likeness of God. That's good. This is the good news of a gracious God who pursued us while we were His enemy and paid our penalty so that we could be set free. But He didn't set us free and then turn us loose unto nothing. He refines us as we go unto holy worship and proclamation of His saving grace. Hear it again, beloved. Hear the weight of what John is trying to encourage the, the believers with. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And so we are. We are the children of God. Amen? He's adopted us by His grace and because of His love. The God of the universe, the ruler of all things, the great, mighty I Am, is our Father if we belong to Jesus. We are His beloved kids. This can't just be information. It needs to pick you up and and move you, brother, sister. Motivate you. Charge you. Christian, this is truly good news. Not just for a moment, but for every moment of this life. We belong to God in a way that, we, that cannot be undone. We are His, His beloved. We'll get back to that in a moment. Let's see with me where John goes at the end of verse 1. All of verse 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Church, if you remember, in previous sermons in John's Gospel and already in John's letter, John uses the term world, the Greek word cosmos, many, many times. But in many of those uses, that word means different things. Things. It doesn't always mean the same thing. And so we're desperate for Scripture to inform us which meaning world has. Here, John is referencing a lost and enslaved world who are enemies of Jesus, and therefore they don't know Jesus. 
The unregenerate, lost world, therefore, does not know the children of God because they do not know Jesus. Why is John making this point? It's unique in the context to encourage the brethren that they are indeed children of God. Because it's another proof to the fact that we are indeed children of God. Consider it with me. We see this in the fact that we are no longer of this world. We are no longer citizens of this kingdom, but are now citizens of God's kingdom. He's changed our citizenship. We no longer serve the ruler of the lost world, the devil. We now serve the king of kings, Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in this world, nor does our life end with this world in its present form or present circumstances. We belong to and endure with the great victor and ruler, Jesus Christ. This was promised from long ago. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus says of us, In his high priestly prayer to the Father in John 17, verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Remember when Jesus said this to his true disciples in John 15, that they were not of this world. This is good news to all of us who belong to Christ, who are God's children. Hear Jesus' words in John 15, 18, and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... Because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Hate is a strong word, right? But it's intended to be a strong word here. Because it's a very real thing and will be a major reality for the church. Jesus begins by stating that he is hated by the world. They hated him so much they murdered him. John 1, 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Not only did ethnic Israel reject Jesus, but they killed him. Why? Because they didn't know him. 
And what we now know looking back is it didn't take long for the hatred of the lost world to transfer to Jesus' devoted followers. Consider for a moment some of that history. Let me give you a couple brief touches. It's not long or far into the book of Acts that we see the apostles are arrested and put in jail by the Jewish authorities. Not once, not twice, but again and again and again. They're not thrown in jail for, st- for stealing or killing, but for simply preaching Jesus, that Jesus saves. In chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death by a mob. By chapter 8, widespread persecution breaks out against all believers, spearheaded by a man named Saul. By chapter 12, the first apostle is murdered. James, the brother of John, is killed by Herod. Persecution continues until the apostles are martyred for their faith and testimony of Jesus, with the exception of John, the author of the Gospel of John and the author of the very letters we're studying, who was exiled to Patmos. As the Gospel began to spread into the Mediterranean world, where the Gentiles were in control, this meant that not only were, there, were the Christians persecuted by the Jews, but now by the Gentiles. The Romans led the way for Christian persecution for hundreds of years. An example of the persecution in this era is under the Emperor Nero. Christians were arrested, tortured, and crucified. They were thrown to wild animals. They were burned as torches for garden parties that he would host. Christians' bodies being burned to light up the party. Christians were persecuted for generations under Roman Catholicism, which was heightened, that persecution heightened in the Protestant Reformation, were the reformers who stood on the authority of Scripture alone and against the faulty man-made practices of the, of the church, were heavily persecuted and many killed for standing for the true gospel and biblical authority. The very reformers we celebrate and remember today. Now, while we live in a relatively big bubble in, Western, in the Western Americas, We must know that all around the world today, Christians are truly hated and persecuted and even killed for testifying the gospel or not being willing to deny Christ. For proclaiming the truths of the Word of God, those truths that stand against the wicked agendas and beliefs and convictions of this lost world. Growing right here in the Western Americas, those who boldly stand for biblical truth and Christ's teachings are being persecuted and hated. We are being fired. We are being canceled ostracized, and even imprisoned. 
This is happening not just by atheists or false religions, but by elected governments. And for some, by their very own families and everyday culture. What Jesus wanted the disciples to understand before he went to the cross, and that we must understand today, is to die to self and live to Christ means we follow him into persecution at the hand of a sinful world. Jesus will lead us not only to victory, but into persecution and real suffering in this short time. Jesus said in John 10.4, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. We know him, and we are his. This is truly good news. But the fact that he goes before us also means the sobering reality of following him in, in persecution, taking up our cross and following him. John and Jesus are blessing us, saying, don't be surprised. The world hates you. This is happening. This is coming. And when it does, don't think something's gone wrong. Peter said this too, 1 Peter 4.12, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The problem as Western Americans is we are way too often surprised. We're way too surprised because we're crazy spoiled. And that's why often time in the Word to be reminded of the promises of God, to be reminded of the teachings of Jesus, of what true Christianity is and looks like, and of our beloved brothers and sisters who are forerunners before us, who went through great persecution and lost many of their freedoms and lives. This is the, the help, the fuel to the roots of our faith. But our mindset away from the Word of God and living too much among a secular society and living way too much on social media and all the other platforms we plug into, the mindset is if we do life right, we can make a way out of hardship and persecution. The problem is us. And to some degree, there might be some layer to our bad stewardship that starts in the home, in the raising of a generation, and beyond. But God is at work, even in much of the suffering and persecution. Yes, there are surely crossroads whereby you can choose a road of less stress and struggle. The point John, Peter, and Jesus are all making is the same. Because we belong to Jesus, they will not know us. We will suffer. And they will hate us. Right? Again and again we see this. Hear Jesus' words again. 
as they are very much what John is trying to highlight for the beloved in our verse in chapter 3. John 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says, I chose you out of the world. This is good news to our soul. We don't ever want to put that away because I don't want other people to hate me. We want that every time, all the time, bring on the hatred of those who are enemies of God. I want to be His. I I want to belong to Him. I want to be chosen out of the world. This is good news. This is the gospel at work. This is the celebration of new life in Christ. We are indeed children of God. This is the family and the kingdom we want to belong to. Are you wrestling because you're being pushed out of your family? You're being exiled from this temporary kingdom? You want to belong to his kingdom. Amen? Christian, don't ever forget it. Don't ever become enthralled or tempted by the counterfeit love of the world that will use you up and throw you away. We don't want to be loved by the world because the world only loves their own and they use them up and throw them away. Instead, we want to be enthralled with Christ, abiding in Christ, enjoying the love of Christ and becoming more and more like Christ every day. This is where John takes his audience next. As his encouragement continues, look with me at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. By referring to his hearers as beloved again, he's done this already in the letter, John's driving home the fact that they are truly and fully loved by God. They are his beloved. The use of this term communicates not only heartfelt closeness, to others, but deep gratefulness of the unity they have in being recipients of God's divine grace and love. This needs to mean something to us. I've had some of you tell me, Pastor, I love it when you refer to us from the pulpit as the beloved. Those people are getting the depth of what that word means. I want that for all of you. For all of us. Listen to Paul's words again in Ephesians 1, 4-6. Even as He, God, chose us in Him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is basically highlighting the great news that we who are the beloved, those whom God has loved from before time, those who are saved and adopted in Christ, are recipients of the grace that blesses us beyond all measure. This is done in the beloved, capital B, beloved. Who's that? Jesus. This is huge. Think about that with me, church. The one whom God the Father has loved for all eternity past His beloved Son, God the Son, Jesus, is the one whom the Father gives up 
so that we who are his elect people, whom he has loved from eternity past, can be ransomed and adopted into his eternal blessing and holy presence. The beloved are the beloved because they are beloved by God. This united affection and belonging is a huge part of the affection and belonging we have for each other. John addresses his readers as my beloved. Six times alone in this letter. It really means something special to him. And I just ask you, does it really mean something really special to you? It's not a throwaway. It sets up the very focal point of John for his beloved as we would truly love one another. Look with me at the next part of verse 2. Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What does he mean, what will be has not yet appeared? To better understand this and what is meant by the coming appearance, listen to Paul's words to the church in Colossae, Colossians 3, 3 through 4. He says, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. God's elect are eternally loved by God and saved by his grace because of the work of Christ on our behalf so that we can be adopted into his eternal family. We are God's children now. Did you see John just said that? And what will be has not yet appeared. He's undergirding them. Know who you are. Know how loved you are, and know that what will be has not yet appeared. Not only is this truly great and helpful news that we are loved by God, and that we are God's children, but that Christ's appearance, but at Christ's appearance, we will appear with Christ in glory. So so see with me what John's doing. John is not only pointing back to show us our security in Christ, He's not only pointing at the present to remind us that we are legally and formally children of God, adopted into his family, but he's also pointing forward to remind us that Christ is coming again for us, and when he does, what we will be in glory is something that is far better than what we know now, and that's coming. He's pointing to the end game and reminding us we win. That we will feast and we will celebrate the glory of God. We will not be defeated. We will not be forgotten. We will not be left behind. Paul's emphasis, Romans 8, 17 through 19. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. And then later in the same chapter, Romans 8, 29-30, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I read that to you earlier. Now look at verse 30. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Christian, do not lose heart. Do not lose sight of the prize. Do not slow down. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Some translations say that slows us down. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. One of my favorite little verses in Scripture. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. He continues, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him. What is He, speaking of Jesus, like that we shall be like? He is holy. He is perfect. He is complete. Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The word mature in the Greek means complete, means perfect. We are to grow into mature manhood. Who is the, the mature man? Jesus. Perfect. Jesus spoke to this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can we be morally perfect in the power of Christ? I've done this before. Maybe you remember Can we be morally perfect in the power of Christ? The answer is yes. For God's word tells us the Lord provides a way to flee from every temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Can we be morally perfect in the power of Christ? The answer is yes. Do we ever attain a true level of moral perfection this side of glory? The answer is no. Why? Because the work of the flesh is at war with the power of the Spirit within each of us who belong to Christ, and therefore there's a battle. One that we will not fight perfectly every day. But that doesn't mean that we do not stride for perfect holiness. That's the standard. That's the call. 
a, a casual realm of Christianity who doesn't know any better is going to say, what, what, what are you trying to say? We're to be perfect? Don't, 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 don't bite. Or correct it. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Let's look to God's word together. Right? Don't lo- loosen the standard. Don't loosen the call. Yes, we will fall short of holiness regularly, but this does not negate the command of the Lord, the emphasis of Paul, the work of John here, that we, the church, are to be working every day in maturing in Christ. To mature to manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. While we are sanctified by God for salvation, as Christ's perfection is credited to us, imputation, And while we are progressively being sanctified each day that we grow in Christ in this creation, there is also a very real sense in which God's people will one day be sanctified, be holy. This is the aim of of, of John's encouragement here. While we may truly and continually struggle, maturity, purity, sanctification is coming. When speaking of those who will join Christ in eternity when he appears, listen to these words, Revelation 21, 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. One day we will be glorified, Christians. And sin will have no more influence or impact on our lives anymore. Oh church, what a day it will be to be brought into glory, into the forever presence of the radiant glory of God. John continues, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Jesus said this on the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Glory is coming, church. We shall see Him in all His glory. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Yes, yes, and yes. Or as Paul says in the second letter to the Corinthians, for now we walk by faith, not by sight. Oh, what a a day it will be, church, when we walk by sight. Amen? When we see Him and love Him and worship Him. Do you see how these three verses are meant to be this just cascade of, of just good encouragement for who we are in Christ, God's love upon us, what it means to be and what is coming. Hear Peter's words, 1 Peter 1, 8-9, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the new heavens and new earth, we shall be with Christ and see him. Praise God. Oh, how we long to be with him in glory. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. In, in, in his letters, plural, he says this again and again and again and again. Let me give you a taste. 2 Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Right? Philippians 1.23. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. Colossians 3.4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. John Stott said, It is enough for us to know that on the last day and through eternity we shall be both with Christ and like Christ. For the fuller revelation of what we are going to be, we are content to wait. Amen? That's that's what John's trying to do here, church. John's emphasizing our hope, our anticipation for our future glorification. When we will finally be in glory with the Father. This is not something we have. This is something we will have. We have the love of God now. We have adoption now. That's verse 1. But in verse 2 is what we will have, what we're, that we are destined for glory. Built on these two game-changing truths, John emphasizes that those of us who hope in Christ and the promises of God are blessed with a life of growing moral purity because Christ, who is our life, is pure. Look with me, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our hope is in him. It's in Christ. The risen Savior is why we have a living hope. Not a dead hope. Not a failing hope. Not a flippant hope. A living hope that 1 Peter 1, 3 says is guarded by the power of God. That means no one's messing with it. No one's getting in. We have a living hope, church. In Christ, the saints have the full assurance of hope until the end. Hebrews 6.11 Paul says in Romans 5.5, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom has been given to us. Hear me clearly today. Real and lasting hope are only found in God. Christian, Christian, is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Your hope's not built on something less. It's built on Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
wholly lean. I don't trust in the sweet temporal things. I, I trust wholly in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock we stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. How does our hope in Christ equal purity like Christ? The answer lies in the fruit of our abiding in Christ and the Holy Spirit's work in us. John already emphasized this. Since Christ is righteous, we are to practice righteousness if we do not want to be ashamed at His coming. Do you remember? Not very long ago, 1 John 2, 28 and 29. So we studied that truth. To do this, we must be completely dependent on the power and work of the Holy Spirit that God's put in with each one of us to belong to Him. Paul makes this clear, Galatians 3.3, Having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh. Paul's, Paul's point here is that no amount of, of manual, self-driven effort to obey, to serve, to honor God will do. You can't be perfected by the flesh. No, we are completely desperate for the work of the Spirit within us to go to work every day. And I just ask you, do you know that, Christian? Totally dependent, desperate for the Holy Spirit. Do you wake up realizing the power of whom God has blessed you with, the Holy Spirit, is what you are desperate for? Or are you guilty of ignoring the precious relationship and the power you have in going about your day? We need to wake up and go to God in prayer and walk with God in His Word every day. Why? So that we remain in tune with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's work in us to perfect and mature us in progressive sanctification. To be better in tune with the Holy Spirit, to practice the spiritual discipline of prayer and the study of His Word. Romans 8, 5-6, through 6, For if those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Are you setting your, th- your mind on the things of the Spirit? The truth, the truth of the Word. The truth about who we are in Christ. This is a major way that God's sanctifying us, beloved, by, now watch this, seating our minds on the truth of the Spirit. We must not ignore or neglect the truth about who we are in Christ as a way to shape the way we think and walk through this life. When we understand the truth about who God is and who we are in Christ, it literally changes the way we do this life and interact with the world. If we are God's treasured possession, why be jealous of anything? You are God's treasured possession. If you are heirs to the whole world and new creation in Christ and every spiritual blessing, why would you envy anything? If God is your Father, why would you ever be afraid? 
if we are dead to sin in Christ, why would we choose sin? See with me, there is a huge changing, a purity, a a, a mindset, a, a way of pursuing our days that is sanctified. The Spirit does this in us as we abide in Him and trust in Him. Illuminating the truth to our minds. And so see it all together as we close. 1 John 3, 1-3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. See with me, John is not only pointing back to show our security in Christ, he's not only pointing at the presence to show and remind us that we are legally and formally children of God, adopted into his family. He's pointing us forward to remind us that Christ is coming for us. And when he does, we will be in glory. That is far better than everything that is now. He's pointing to the end game and reminding us we win. In the meantime, we hope in Jesus. And as he is pure and at work in us, we are growing in purity and living lives that honor him. This is truly an encouraging passage of scripture. Amen. I pray that you are encouraged and built up in God's truths this morning by his grace and for his glory. Pray with me. As we sang earlier, Lord, how deep Your fatherly love is for us. It is vast and beyond measure. Shown to us and given your only son. What an amazing thing you have done to set your love on us, to to, to put your grace on us, to, to send Christ for Christ to perfectly complete his work on our behalf to forgive us and adopt us, to, to seal us with the Holy Spirit, uh, to, to sanctify us each day in purity as we serve you, as we labor, as we, as we are persecuted and hated, but we, but we live not for these treasures. We live not for this fame. We live for your glory and all that you've set before us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And in the meantime, may we be good stewards of today, glorifying you. Lord, may we truly well up with worship in the fresh way this morning, because we are kids of grace. Hear us as we worship and celebrate this truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.